2 Kings chapter 5. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we don't want the words of man because that's a waste of time. But we know the word of God transforms lives. Pray for everybody who is here, that you would bless them, that you would soften their hearts, you make this the most attentive hour of our week. I pray for those who will hear this on the radio, those who will watch it now on live stream and Vimeo and YouTube. Lord, again, that your word would not return void, that you would be glorified. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's do some quick review. So as we know, the book of Kings, we have seen sadly that the children of Israel, uh, both those in the northern kingdom, because of Solomon's disobedience, Israel was torn into two pieces. The northern ten kingdoms were known as Israel. The southern two kingdoms were known as Judah. We know that the kings in Israel, they're nothing but wicked. And they just got more and more wicked till we finally got to King Ahab. And as we come to chapter 5, King Ahab's first son has already died. His second son is now king. His name is Jehoram. And again, he's as wicked, almost as wicked as anybody else who's come along. So in the midst of all of this, we're going to see that there's some salt and light. And guys, our country right now needs some salt and light. Can I get an amen? And most of our country right now is afraid. Uh, there's so much propaganda going on. You don't know what to believe or why to believe it. And here's the reality. While you watch stuff on television, you don't know whether you can believe it or not. I'll tell you something you can believe all day, every day. And that's this book right here. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so in a time when people are are filled with fear and anxiety and worry. Those are all the opposite of faith, by the way. We need hope. Can I get an amen to that? So I titled the message for tonight, hope, bringing hope to the hopeless. And we're going to see five points tonight, looking at Elisha interacting yet again. This time it's going to be with a commander from Syria. And then also we're going to see his servant Gehazi show his true colors in tonight's text. So here are the five points bringing hope to the hopeless. Number one, being a faithful witness, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Do you know when you have the greatest opportunity to minister to people is when you're going through great trials. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And when we're going through difficulty in life, the people that don't know the Lord and even some who do know the Lord are watching. And guys, Christianity is... Is, can be taught, of course, but it also can be caught. And we need to live out loud for the Lord, even in times of the greatest, of our most difficult of circumstances. We're going to see a young enslaved girl bring hope to a mighty man of valor. Number two, hope is worth, all, worth more than all the money in the world. I, I messed that up big time. Uh, that's what happens when you're typing fast. But hope is worth more than all the money in the world. And we're going to see that tonight, that this mighty man of valor, he has position, he has power, he has authority, but he's hopeless. We'll see why. And we're going to see how when he has hope, he's not going to stop to get, again, what, what is far greater than riches, position, or power. Number three, hope comes through humility, faith, and obedience. By the way, our hope is not in, in kings and palaces. Our hope is in the throne of grace. We don't put our hope in a, a, a political party. We don't put it in a president or elected officials. We don't put our hope in any men. We put our faith and our hope in the Lord. And we're going to see how through humility and faith and obedience that hope is going to come to that man, mighty man of valor. Number four, God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. We're going to see that humble obedience produces healing and faith. And we're going to see again 
that we need to be gracious to new believers and give them time to grow. We're going to see a man who's a Syrian who has been attacking the children of Israel, who's been at war with God's people. We're going to see him give his life to the true and living God tonight and start serving him. Nobody's beyond salvation. And we ought to be looking for those divine appointments and opportunities. And then we see pride goes before destruction. We're going to see the love of money. We're going to see Elisha and this young slave girl who have no motivation at all except to see God glorified and to share the source of hope with someone who's hopeless. And then we're going to see somebody who's going to come along when Elisha won't take anything for what he's done, gives all the credit and the glory to God, doesn't want to distract what God has done by taking a reward. And then we're going to see somebody who runs after the person who's been healed and asks them for a reward that they don't deserve. And we're going to see how God responds to that. So bringing hope to the hopeless, 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's pick up there in verse 1, being a faithful witness, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Verse one says, now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. Now Naaman is part of Syria. And if you've been here for the last several weeks, we've seen the Syrians at war with Israel. And so here's this man who commands the army of Israel's enemy, but he's referred to as a mighty man of valor. He's a man who's being faithful where he has been placed. He's a chief military commander of a persistent enemy to both Israel and Judah. And as recently as the days of Ahab uh, and Jehoshaphat, Syria had fought and won against Israel and his position and success made him a great and honorable man. And he was a mighty man of valor. That word mighty man of valor doesn't get tossed around a lot in the Bible. Let me give you some other people that have been called that. Gideon, David, Jeroboam, Elida, who we'll see in Second Chronicles. The only, the only Gentile we see getting that title is, this, is Naaman, this man right here. So even though he's fighting against God's people, and remember that God gave Syria victory because of the godlessness of Israel and their king, and he was one of the leaders in that army, and Naaman would probably have uh, been a general in charge during that last great battle uh, when Ahab and Jehoshaphat fought against uh, Syria and they brought victory. And during that battle, it says, now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he had his driver of his chariot turn around and take him out of the battle and say, for I am wounded. If you guys remember, the king Ahab goes out into the battle. And if you remember, he kind of isolates himself. He's filled with armor. And remember that he knew that God had brought judgment upon him. And then some, one of the Syrians just take a, takes a bow at random and shoots it in the air and it pierces through the armor of Ahab and kills him. Going to bring about his death. We know from Second Chronicles and we know from also Jewish tradition that the man who drew that bow was Naaman, the guy that's in tonight's text. So he was the one that drew the bow. He's the one that God used to bring judgment upon the children of Israel. And this is so sad. Let's not forget this. He was the king of Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. He'd given them victory in the land. He'd given them a land flowing with milk and honey. Gave him, you know, victory over all the kings of the land and all, you know, the, all the enies and the ites, right? All the Philistines and everybody in the land. He gave them victory. And then in the middle of that, they had turned their back on God. And as we know, Ahab had instituted the worship 
of Baal. Now it says of this man that he's a mighty man of valor, but notice how verse one ends, but also says something else of him. A mighty man of valor, but a what? A leper. Okay, but a leper. That's a big deal. Now leprosy in those days, and still true for the most part today, was a slow, painful, humiliating death sentence. What happened when you got leprosy, it started off small. It began, well, we'll talk more in detail, but it would, it would continue to grow. And before you knew it, you know, your fingers were falling off. Your, again, your, eventually your eyes would fall out. You would lose all of your teeth. I mean, and you were very contagious. So you were isolated. And when they walked around, they had to scream unclean when they got near people so people wouldn't get near them. So here this mighty man of valor, here he is winning victories. Here he's got a great position. He's got great stature, but he's a leper. And when you find out you have leprosy, especially in those days, that was a death sentence. So here he is. Now, something I will say about him, he has leprosy, but he continues to serve his king. He continues to serve his country. He continues to be a man of faith and a man of war as far as where he is serving in Syria. And you know what? We as believers can learn from that example. That just because we're going through difficult times, or even if we've gotten, uh, you know, a lot of people in our church right now have cancer. And we find out we have cancer, and part of what we might want to do is sit on the sideline because we're mad at God, or we're disappointed, or we're going through difficulty. Can I encourage you that as long as you're breathing in and out, God's not done with you, amen? And God wants to use everyone for his kingdom and for his glory. And here's the reality. Those that serve the most grow the most. Amen? And if we're not serving, we're probably not growing. And as we grow in the Lord, we serve. So he has a lot going for him, but he's got a huge problem. And again, it's incredible to me that a man with a painful, unsightly, and terminal disease is still referred to as a mighty man of valor. When you consider all the wars between Israel and Syria, it seems very strange that the king of Syria, watch what's going to happen here, because notice what happens. And the Syrians had gone out and on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. God has a way of bringing about divine appointments. So they're raiding Israel. They're taking captives because Israel at that time is worshiping Baal. For the most part, they've turned their backs on God. Of course, there were some who were faithful to God, but they were greatly outnumbered. And Israel is raided. And this one girl is brought back to Syria and she is serving Naaman's wife, the wife of this man of mighty valor who has leprosy. The word there for young girl, when you look in the original language, it's literally interpreted in Hebrew, a little maid. So it's somebody who's on early adolescence. So, you know, she's not 20. She's probably 10, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. Here's this young woman who's been taken captive. Now, again, if you were taken captive, this reminds me a lot of Daniel. Same thing happened to Daniel. Ripped away from her family. More than likely saw some people, if not all the people in her family, put to death. She's drug away to a foreign land and she's forced to serve the wife of the commander of the army that attacked her nation, attacks her people, including more than likely her own family, certain her, certainly her brothers and her father. So all these things have happened to her. And in the midst of all of this, she's in captivity. She certainly could have been mad at God. She could have been whining. She could have cursed God and said, why would you let this happen to me? 
And by the way, just remember this. God's always right. He always knows what he's doing. He's a faithful God, and we can trust in his character. Can I get an amen to that? So whatever you're going through, God is faithful. He knows what he's doing. Now look at the heart of this young girl. It says that she said to her mistress, so this is Naaman's wife, if only my master were with the prophet is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So here's the commander of the very army that attacked her family and her home. And now she is telling his wife that, you know what? If he would go to the prophet in Samaria, he could be healed of his leprosy. This to me is absolutely amazing because you know what? Don't we typically want vengeance? Don't we typically just, you know, I'm, you know, most people would trying to figure a way to put poison in their soup. And instead she says, look, there's hope. There's hope. Look, if you have leprosy, you're hopeless. And here's this man being used mightily and he's a man of valor and he's a man of great stature and position, but he's also a man who's hopeless, who knows his days are numbered. Things are only going to get worse. worse. Great suffering is coming. And then this word comes to his wife. Hey, it's too bad. He's not in Samaria, which was the capital of Israel at that time. It's too bad he's not in Samaria because if he was there, he could be healed of leprosy. It is so good to give hope to the hopeless. And guys, we can do that. Amen. 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 We have hope. It's interesting. Uh, Pastor Joe, I mentioned to you guys, he was my assistant for 10 years in Santa Cruz and continue to pray for his wife. I went to heaven about 12, went to heaven 12 days ago when I was talking to Becky today for about an hour. It's his wife, Becky, love her, praying for her. And she was mentioning uh, an illustration he used in a sermon and it fits for tonight. And he said, she said, you know, he was talking about this young boy that had cancer and his dream was to go to a Dodger game and sit behind home plate. So they gave him tickets to sit behind home plate. His favorite players as years ago was Matt Kemp. And Matt Kemp came by and gave him his glove and his bat and his jersey and signed everything. And that's a wonderful gesture. But guess what? You know what we can give that little boy? The hope of heaven. Amen? We can also pray for his healing. And you know what? Even though what, what you know, Matt Kemp did, that's nice. But guys, it's not eternity changing. And it's not life changing. And guys... The, mo the most sad thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves and keep our hope to ourselves. We have the antidote for the death serum. The death serum is sin and we're all sinners in need of a savior. And the antidote is Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. And the worst thing we can do is keep that hope to ourselves when we're surrounded by a hopeless world. And here's this young girl. Hey, if he was in Samaria, he could be healed. How quick do you think his wife told her husband? How quickly did you think she round up Naaman and said, hey, let me tell you something. Let, let me tell you what I just heard. And as outlandish as it might be in their minds, the fact that there's any hope at all, it's worth it. Now watch what happens. Verse five, four, and Naaman went in and told his master, that's the king, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. So look, as soon as he finds out, he runs into the king and he says, hey, I just heard from this girl that we captured in Israel in our last raid. You know, she's the one caring for my wife and our home. And she told me that there's somebody in Samaria that can heal me. Now watch this. Now keep in mind that the Syrians 
are at, have been at war with Israel and they are not friends, they are enemies. But watch what happens, verse five. Then the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. So here's what happens. Obviously this king had a great love for his commander. He had a great love for this man who served him faithfully. And because of his great love for him, he was going to write a letter from one king to another king, even though they had been adversaries, even though they've been at war with each other. He's still going to try to take what influence he has upon the king in Israel. And then if that's not enough, he loads him up with gold and silver and clothes. Now, I'm a math guy, so I, I checked it out and figured out. So 10 talents of silver is 750 pounds of silver. And then when you look at the amount of gold there, it says 6,000 shekels of gold. That's 150 pounds of gold. So I looked up today's price of silver and gold, and the silver is worth $336,000, and the gold is worth $4,272,000. So he gave him $4.6 million and a bunch of clothes and had sent a letter in front of him to go see if somehow that would influence Elisha, he doesn't know who he is yet, that he can get saved. And he writes it to the king, and here's what he expects. He expects that the king must know the prophet really well. Well, you and I know if you've been here that the king has wanted to kill the prophet. <laughs> so he's gonna get a letter asking you know, for the prophet to heal this man's servant, and he doesn't even have a relationship with Elisha, for the, right? And he'd already tried to kill Elijah. Now he's tried to kill Elisha. And they, they worship the prophet, of the, you know, they worship Baal, the worshiping of the false gods. And so he sends forward everything he can to, to try and give this man some hope. To Naaman, that hope was worth all the money in the world. He could have, just think about it, he could have run off with $4 million. He didn't do that. Because you know what was better than $4 million? Being healed of leprosy. You know what's way better than $4 million? Being born again. Having all your sin forgiven. Being a new creation in Christ. Knowing that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Having the promise that when you close your eyes on earth, you're going to open them up in glory. Christians die well. Guys, we have hope. And it doesn't mean hope so. It's a promise that we have from God. Christianity's not a hope so. It's a no so. Amen? We know for sure that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we are going to heaven. Leprosy is a picture of sin and its consequences. And there's nothing more valuable than being forgiven and redeemed and born again to be cleansed of all our sin and its consequences. So point number one, being a faithful witness, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Again, we've all gone through difficulty in this room. I can't imagine very many things more difficult than being a young girl more than likely having your family in front of you put to death, if not at the very least, you're ripped away from them. You're taken to a foreign land. You could have cursed God. And like, like Daniel did, Daniel said, I purpose in my heart that I will not defile myself. He went into a foreign land and he made a stand for God, even if it would, if it would cost him his life. And here you have a young girl who continues to show grace to others, even when she has been taken captive. What a lesson, what an uh, uh, example for us to follow. Point number two. 
Hope is worth more than all the money in the world. Again, it says there, so he departed with them 10, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, which said now be advised when this letter comes to you that I've sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of leprosy. Now, what's comedy about that is this king couldn't heal anybody of a cold. And he just got a letter asking to heal him of leprosy. And he got the letter from a guy he's been at war with. But here he has this letter. And again, they no doubt probably have a, treat, a peace treaty of some part at this point. But here he is. He writes this letter to him. Now watch how the king responds. Verse 7. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes. He said, am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Here's what he thinks. He's sending me a letter to mock me and to pick a fight with me because he knows I can't heal somebody of leprosy. How in the world am I going to do that? If somebody walked in here with leprosy, we're not going to be able to heal them. We're going we're to send her to Chelsea and hope that she can do something. Can I get an amen? But we can't heal them. We don't have the ability to do that. Amen? So here this man is and he doesn't know what to do. And when the king of Israel, he was understandably upset. He knew he couldn't heal him. And by the way, he had no relationship with Elisha. Here's what's interesting to me. Is the king of Syria assumed that the king of Israel, Jehoram, had a relationship with the man of God and a relationship with God. And often people believe that you're closer to the Lord than you really are. And the reality is, I pray that we would live in such a way that when people see how we live, that they know we're close to God and it's the truth. Amen? Yes. So this man, they're reaching out to him and he's, the king's like, he's just starting to pick a fight with me because he knows I can't do this. He's asking me to do the impossible. Here's the good news. Our God's the God of the impossible. He can do all, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So when the king of Israel heard it, he was understandably upset. He did not know how to respond. So again, point number two, hope is worth more than all the money in the world. It's tragic when people come to someone for hope and healing and the person has no hope themselves. Here's the reality. Naaman needs hope, but so does the king. Amen. And that's why we don't go to the world for hope. We don't go to the world for answers. I get in trouble every time I say this, but I'm doing this for the Lord. And if I offend you because of the word of God, you need to be offended. If your toes get stepped on tonight, move your feet. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but here's the reality. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. And we don't go to the world for answers. And we, don't, we shouldn't be getting whipped up about what the world thinks about anything. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? And we're called to be salt and light. Hope is worth more than all the money in the world. There's nothing this world has to offer that's better than having a relationship with the Lord, than being born again, than having the hope that only comes from a relationship with him. The king of Israel had power. He had position. He had possessions. He had no hope. Number three, hope comes through humility, faith, and obedience. So imagine Naaman He's traveling to this faraway land and he's traveling into a land where the last time he was there, he was fighting against them and he was at war with them. And now he's coming into this land sometime later and he's desperate to find anybody that can help him. 
And we live in a world today where there's a lot of people that are desperate and they need hope and they're trying to find it in everything this world has to offer when the only place they're going to find it is in the Lord. And we need to make sure that we speak up and let them know. Now watch what happens. Hope comes to humility, faith, and obedience. Verse eight. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. He finds out why he has torn his clothes because Naaman is coming because Naaman, there's a, a letter has come and this man is looking for a cure, looking to be healed of leprosy. The king is distraught because he can't do anything. Guys, that's such a picture of the world. You go to the world and they don't have any hope. They don't have a relationship with God. They're spiritually dead. They need to be born again. And you go to them and, you know, have you ever, I don't do this very often. Matter of fact, I do it almost never. But have you ever watched daytime television? What a disaster. (laughs) Oprah has no hope. Can I get an amen? The view has no hope. All those people, they just sit around talking about problems and they, in the end of it, they have no hope. And the answer is the Lord. And guys, we have the hope and we should not keep it to ourselves. Amen? Amen. So here I love Elisha. He's one of the few serving the Lord. He's a prophet of God. He knows that the king hates him and wants him dead ultimately. And yet he, he, see, he seeks to assist the king because he looks at everything as a divine appointment as an op- and an opportunity to point people to the Lord. Again, the hope was not in the king's palace for us, it's not in the, th- in the White House, but in the throne of grace. Real, real truth, hope, and wisdom found not in the words or thoughts of men, but in the word of God. Now look what happens. And Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, this man is used to being honored. So even though he's the one who's coming in desperation, he's going to show up with, you know, first of all, just carrying all the gold and silver he had, had to bring some folks. 750 pounds of silver, right? I mean, Brett could carry that by himself, but the rest of us, right? We need a team of people, right? And so 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and, you know, this big army of people and they all come together and he's standing at the gate outside of Elisha's house. He's in the front of his house and he's waiting for Elisha to come walking out and somehow, so, you know, he just feels like he's entitled, even though he's hopeless, He hasn't lost sight of the fact of his position. Now watch what happens. Look at verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Elisha doesn't even get out of his chair. He sends Gehazi out and says, go tell him to wash in the Jordan River seven times. Now, initially he's going to think, does he just think I don't bathe? You know, does, does, he, does he think I got leprosy because I'm like unclean? Does he think that I'm just covered in dirt? And we're going to see that he's going to say, well, the, the rivers where I live are cleaner than the Jordan. Why does he want me to go down there? Here's the thing. He's asking him to do something simple, but it's going to require faith to do it. And here's what I really believe. I believe that if it was something difficult, who would have been quick to do it? I think if the, the answer was, he came out and said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to crawl on your knees on glass to Mount Carmel. I think he would have dropped to his knees and started crawling. 
But because it was something so simple, and because Elisha didn't, you know, no doubt we're going to see that he expected Elisha to come out to wave his hand and, you know, put on some kind of a show and the leprosy would go away. And he's telling him to do something simple. And often the Lord asks us to do something simple. And the world we live in today, they think they have to earn salvation. It's too simple just to believe that Jesus Christ is God. It's just too simple to, you know, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's got to be harder than that. There have to be, there must be 27 steps I got to go through. I must have to go to Mecca or I have to, you know, I must have to go do something that's difficult to earn heaven. Well, the difficult, there was something difficult for us to go to heaven, but we didn't do it. Jesus did it for us. He suffered and died that we might have eternal life. He suffered as if he lived your life so you could be rewarded as if he lived his. What a great and awesome God we serve. So something simple. He traveled a great distance. He was so desperate to be healed of leprosy. And then he's told, go down and wash in the river seven times and you'll be clean. Now watch how he responds. This is so typical of the world. We cry out to God for help. We cry out to God for direction. He tells us what to do. We don't like the answer and we get bitter. That's not what, what I wanted. See, we like, to tell, we like to cry out to God and then give him instructions. Here, Lord, here's what I need you to do. You need to fix so-and-so, or you need to do this. Guys, we don't instruct God. We come humbly and broken before God. We hear God. We obey God. Amen? Amen. Now watch what happens here. Verse 11. But Naaman became furious. Now wait a minute, bro. You just came all this way. You got this. You got all these people with you. You were told this is the person that can heal you of leprosy. You showed up. He sent a set messenger out. He said, go down to the Jordan River and and." Bathe seven times. Put yourself in it seven times and you will be made well. And he's furious. He's angry. Why? Because he was expecting a show. He was expecting something else. And it wasn't what he expected. Now watch what happens. He was furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. So he had an idea of how he was going to be healed. And he not only wanted to be healed, but he wanted to decide how it was going to happen. And instead, he was told to do something much more simple. And instead of just obeying God, he gets furious. And he's literally going to go home without even taking that simple step of faith. Praise God, he's got some people with him that are bold enough to speak up. It says, now watch him talking about the river. Are not Abanon and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in a rage. Supposed to bathe in water, man, the water by my house is nicer than this. And what does he do? He came desperate and now he's becoming prideful. He's brought, hey, if your place was so great, go ahead and go back there. See how that works out for you. Hey, if you, if you think the world's got the answers, keep pursuing the world and see how that works out for you. The world has no answers because Jesus is the answer. Here it is, is he's asked to go bathing, but here's what he's really asked. He's really asked to have faith and obey. What he's really being asked is to have faith and obey. He's telling him to go down into the water. Is it too difficult? Is that hard for him to do? No. He could go do it immediately, but he has to have faith that the word he's received is from the Lord and that he will be healed 
and then he needs to obey. And by the way, what's the worst that could happen if he goes down there and does it? He comes out a little cleaner, amen? So there's nothing to lose, everything to gain, and yet he's furious because it didn't happen in the miraculous way that he wanted it to happen. I've done, I don't know, thousands of baptisms, and sometimes people, they come up and they're like, okay, well, all right. I'm not speaking in tongues or anything. I'm not flying. I mean, you know. And the reality is, baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. It's an act of faithful obedience. Amen? Oh, by the way, the pools are going to be open on Sunday. Bring your swim trunks. Amen? So bring your stuff. Bring the floaties for your kids, okay? We're going to hang out. And if you want to get baptized, even though we had a baptism last Sunday or last Saturday, we'll have baptisms this Sunday for anybody who wants to be baptized. Amen? So if you've not been baptized, you should be baptized. Baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. So it's an issue of faith and obedience. Will Naaman trust what Elisha says? Will he be willing to do what Elisha is asking him to do, which is to go down the Jordan River and wash himself seven times? And he walks away angry and bitter, even though what he was asked to do was simple. Leprosy is painful and a terminal disease. And Naaman has a desperation to be healed and believing in being bathed seven times was so easy. If Elisha had commanded him again to do something difficult, he would have probably been more likely to do it. Now look at verse 13. So he's gone away in a rage and praise God for his servants. His servants come near him and say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says, wash and be clean? Hey, if he told you to do something difficult, you would have done it. If he told you to run 500 miles, you'd have started jogging. If he had told you to, to, to do something great and difficult, you would have done it. But because he asked you to do something simple, you walk away furious. You know, a lot of times when you witness to people and you tell them, believe in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. Repent just simply means a change of mind, a change of heart, to turn away from the person you were and surrender your life to the Lord. Take yourself off the throne and put Jesus there. You have the promise of eternal life before you walk out of the building today. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your life will never be the same. And you pass from death into life. Some people, that's just too easy. We told them you gotta, walk, you gotta go knock on 5,000 doors and tell people about Jesus. People would be more likely to do that. And sadly, we see people doing that for a lie. Now, so they come to him and they ask him that simple question. If you're willing to do the difficult, why don't you do the simple? Hey, Naaman, what do you really have to lose? We came all, we came all this distance. Let's go do it. And servants, again, praise God for people that love you enough to come and speak to you. Can I get an amen to that? By the way, those of you still watching on live stream, we miss you. And it's better to be in front of the fireplace than watching a fire on TV. Can I get an amen to that? And, and you can't do ministry if you're not here. Now, we love you and we miss you, but get back to church. Can I get an amen? And that's only because I love you. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. <laughs> Pastor Dave exhorting people. Shocker. Okay. <laughs> now, watch what happens. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He finally sets his pride aside, sets aside the fact that, oh, he didn't even come out and greet me. Oh, he didn't do something miraculous. He put all that away. He humbles himself. 
And by faith, he obeys what the man of God, speaking on behalf of almighty God, has told him to do. And in his faith and obedience, he goes down and does it. And can you imagine what it was like when he came up the seventh time and his body was made whole, and it says there he had the skin of a little child, that he was literally, and I love that it's a little child because it's the same word for the girl that gave the word to his wife that caused him to come in the first place. The Bible rocks, amen? So now he had flesh like, her, or like hers, and now he's been healed, and now he has hope. Now, by the way, when God does miracles, he doesn't do miracles for the sake of miracles, when God does the miraculous, it's to draw people unto himself. Amen? It's so that people will recognize not only the power of God, but the love and the grace of God. So it's a child that got him to go to Elisha, and now, again, his humility brings about a blessing. How often are we missing out on the blessings and miracles of the Lord in our lives because we're simply too proud to admit we're wrong, turn around and obey? Amen. How often has that happened where we, we're heading in the wrong direction? We're so prideful that we won't turn around and obey. Look, I'm a guy, I, we all struggle with pride. I have a broken right elbow, and I finally found out yesterday because I finally went to, to Chelsea. They did x rays. My elbow's been broken for a month. I'm a typical guy. Well, you know what I mean? You know, I'll rub some dirt on it, you'll be all right. And it's pride that we don't just go and humble ourselves and find somebody who knows a lot more than we do and find out what's wrong with you, amen? And too often we're so prideful and we, we'll, you know, we'll keep going that direction. And you know what makes us go in that direction more than anything? Ladies, don't take this wrong. Your wife telling you you're going the wrong direction. <laughs> You'll just keep going and keep going till the mud's over your head, amen? But here's the reality is that he finally came to a place where he humbled himself, and he put his pride away. And he didn't care about his position as a man of valor or all the people that served him. He came in humility like a child. And when he came up, he was restored with skin like a little child. Now watch what's going to happen in his life. Because what happens in his life is far more important than even uh, being healed of leprosy. It says in first Peter, likewise, you young people submit yourselves to your elders. Yes. All you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. We either choose to be stubborn and proud and, and find God himself resisting us or we humble ourselves and find God giving us grace. Let me say that again. We either choose to be stubborn and proud and find God himself resisting us because he says he gives grace to the humble, resists the proud. So we walk in pride, God resists us. And we walk in humility and brokenness, it says that he gives us grace. So grace is being poured out on this man who'd been an enemy of God's people. He'd been used by the Lord to bring righteous judgment upon God's people because they were worshiping false gods. But God gives grace again to the humble, resist the proud. And Naaman's response of faith was generously rewarded. God answered his faith with a complete and miraculous healing. We need to pray more. God's word says we're to make his house a house of prayer. prayer. Bible says to pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. And the reality is you're as close to God as you want to be. And if you want to be closer to the Lord, 
it was a prayer of the word. It's, it's a breathing in or breathing out. You need to do both. Amen? The word of God is how God speaks to us, and prayer is how we speak to him. And for us to have an intimate relationship with him, we need to spend time in prayer and in his word that we might, again, follow him. So hope comes through humility, faith, and obedience. Now, look, God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Now, watch what happens here. He comes up and he's clean. I can't even imagine what's going through his mind. He's going, in one moment, he went from, I am going to be in torment and suffering until the day I die. And it's just going to get worse every day. Now, by the way, I've mentioned this to you once before. I used to go to India every year and teach up to a thousand pastors at a time how to study and teach the Bible. And they would take me into little villages at night to speak in some of these little village churches. And I went to one one time where they were lined up with spears. That was a little, man, oh, okay, heaven could be nearer than I think, right? <laughs> and the guy with me interpreted, goes, just keep preaching, bro. I'm like, could they throw them at us? He goes, yeah, but where are we going? It's all good. Just keep preaching. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, bro, I need to take some of that faith home. Amen. But we were driving along and we stopped and there was a leper colony. And my interpreter and, and the guy who represented gospel for Asia, they want to make sure you don't get, you know, nothing happens to you. Because that's not a good pub for GFA if, you know, the pastor gets leprosy. <laughs> so I got out and I went to the leper colony and started hugging people and praying for them. And my interpreter was losing his mind. He was jumping up and down and grabbing me. And I'm like, bro, I've already hugged 10 of them. What difference does it make at this point? Let's just talk to all of them about Jesus while we're here. And the reality is, again, we need to use some wisdom. But does God care about lepers? Does he care about prostitutes and drunkards? Does he care about CEOs of companies that are lost? Jesus loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. And guys, we're called to be salt and light everywhere we go. And when you get up tomorrow and go to work, we've talked about this, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. When you walk into Albertsons, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Here's an opportunity for us to share the hope that lies within us to a lost and a dying world. Now watch what happens to Naaman. He could have just run home, but look what it says. He returned to the man of God, verse 15, in all his aids and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Amen, amen, and amen. He is already confessing more than the king of Israel, the ruler over God's people would say. In a quick amount of time, he's come to believe, not because just the fact that he was healed, but he was told by this girl back in his hometown, back in his house, to go, and this man would heal her. And then he comes, and I love that Elisha never left the house. And you know what I love about that? Because then Elisha doesn't get the credit, God does. He sent him down to the river on his own. Go down there. God will heal. He comes up the seventh time. He has to run back to the house of Elisha because Elisha didn't even leave the house. Guys, when God uses us to minister to somebody else, let's make sure we never take the credit. We're simply tools in the hands of the master. I've used this illustration many times. You know, years ago on Thanksgiving, I got the worst toothache in my life. I was calling people out of the phone book in Santa Cruz. I was visiting my parents. And I got a hold of a guy who was Thanksgiving. He's like, dude, it's Thanksgiving. I'm going to charge you triple. I'm like, you can have my car. I mean, I'm in so much pain. I need help. So I went in and saw him. He drilled into my tooth, got the, you know, 
put the medicine in there, and I went from I'm dying to feeling great. Now, I did not praise the drill. Oh, thank you, drill. You're so amazing. I did not do that. I thank the dentist. Amen? Guys, we're the drill. He's the dentist. Amen? We're tools in the hands of the master. And so the only reason we can do anything good is because we're in his hands. The only good in us is the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Any gift that we have came from God and he gets all the credit and all the glory. Amen? And so we need to be using it for his kingdom. So he runs back to the man of God. And I love this. I know that your God is, I know the God of Israel is God. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's way greater than being healed of leprosy. Amen. My God used the leprosy to open this man's eyes to the fact that not only can he clean him up outwardly, he can clean him up inwardly. Amen. Because leprosy is pretty gnarly, but you know, it's worse sin. And we, maybe we don't have any lepers in here, but we've got a room full of sinners. And if you look at our in, insides, it's worse than a leper looks on the outside. Naaman's like the one leper out of 10 that Jesus healed that came back to him in Luke 17. You know, the, Jesus heals 10 lepers and nine of them just went home. And one of them came back. He was a foreigner and he came back and he thanked the Lord. Naaman had expected the prophet to come to him and come out to him. Now he returns to the man of God. Before he expected to be served. He was standing at the gate and for him to come out. Now he runs back to speak to the man of God and to give glory to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's often the case when the, the least to value themselves are proud and haughty, whereas the most excellent on the earth are the most humble. See, God gives grace to the humble. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Get, to make sure that God gets all the glory. We're not building a legacy for ourselves. We're not trying to make our names famous. I hope they all forget my name and remember his. Amen? I speak a lot of conferences and stuff. I'm be speaking at a couple in August, and they always want you to send a video and, you know, a big bio, and I never do it. And they all get mad at me. I just don't do it. They have to pull my picture off Facebook or something. And I'm like, and when I, they finally said, you have to send one. I put sinners saved by grace. There you go. Because that's who we are. Amen? Amen. And when a guy has a five-minute introduction, I'm already throwing up and don't want to hear what he has to say. <laughs> it takes five minutes to tell us how great you are. I'm already out. Amen? <laughs> because there's only one great, and his name is Jesus. Amen. There's only one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. And to him alone be all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. So now he knows that th there is no other God except the God in Israel. It wasn't just the healing that persuaded Naaman. It was the healing connected with the word of the prophet. See, the word of the prophet told him what to do. He went and did it and God healed him. And he knew that that word came from God and not from a man. And Elisha, again, didn't even come out of the building. I love that he chose to just sit back and make sure God got all the glory. He says, now therefore... Please take a gift from your servant. So he, he, he had shown up with $4.6 million with the silver and gold in today's terms. And he comes back to Elisha and says, hey, take some money. Take some clothes. Take something. Now watch what Elisha does. And this is a lesson for all of us. Look what he does. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. You know what? I love this because then he'll recognize that everything Elisha does is for the glory of God, not for his own enrichment. Amen. 
You notice when the apostles were called to follow Jesus, nobody asked him what the gig paid. Amen. Amen. So what's his gig pay? How much is this? At one point in Santa Cruz, we, we had a, a gap in time. We didn't have a worship leader. And I put an ad down to the Bible college and a few other places to find a worship leader. And the first three guys that called me, the first thing out of their mouth was, what is the gig pay? And I said, not enough. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> now, I'm not kidding. We should, pay, we should take care of those people. Amen. But the reality is, where God guides, God provides. Amen? And if God's calling me to do something, I will trust him. By the way, how often do we, do we, we have we have we ever had any thermometers on the wall at this church? Have we ever beat you guys up? Do we, have we ever passed an offering once? What's the answer? No. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And where God guides, God provides. And God has always provided. This little church is on, on radio stations all over the place because you guys faithfully give. We're serving kids down at Bayamba because you guys faithfully give. We're going to be paying the rent for a new church plant in Brazil because you guys faithfully give. And God loves a cheerful giver. So he asked him, take something. He said, no, nah, I don't need it. He also knew this. He wanted him to know that God operates under grace. And grace is something you're given for free. Amen? It's not something you deserve. And so he wants him to know, our God's a God of grace. You don't buy things from God. Contrary to what the name it and claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it, faith ministries on the radio, on TV, will tell you if you send in $1,000, God's going to bless you with a bunch of money. First of all, that's not biblical. It's her heretical. And I just pray those guys all go off the air. Amen? I love when they say, if we don't get enough money by Friday, we're off the air. Then go off the air. God bless you. <laughs> get out of the way and put somebody up there that preaches the Bible. Amen. But I love that he wanted him to focus on the grace of God and not go home thinking, I paid a million dollars to be healed or I paid $10 to be healed. It was the grace of God who blessed him and it would give God all the glory. Naaman has already confessed that he is God. Verse 17. So Naaman said, then if not, Please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Now, there was a superstition in those days that each god was the god of their own country. And so you would see that the, the Syrians had uh, Rimon, and you know the, the people in Tyre and Sidon uh, worshiped Baal and Asheroth. And they all had these different gods. And they thought each land had their own God. He's literally saying, can I take back, you know, a couple of big mounds of dirt so I can spread it out in Syria and stand on it and worship the God of this dirt? That's what he's saying. He's basically saying the God of Israel, who's that one I worship? And I can't worship him. I'm not in Israel. So let me bring some Israeli dirt back so I can stand on it and worship the Lord. It's so sad and so tragic when we put limits on God. Now, here, look, we'll cut Naaman some slack. How long, has he been, how long has he been following the Lord? How long has he been believed? About five minutes? A lot of times new believers are kind of rough. I'll never forget that I led a guy of the Lord here at the community center not too many years ago, and he would come up after messages and say, Pastor Dave, that was a great blanket message. And I would just put my arm around him and say, I love you, bro. <laughs> I mean, he's been a Christian for three weeks. You know what I mean? You kind of say, hey, bro. And, oh, that, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, no, that's okay. 
One of my customers, that, and when I was in Santa Cruz, one of my customers I sold advertising to his business. And then he came to our church because about a year, I gave him a business card. I never thought I'd see him again. I gave him a business card. He showed up at our church a year later because he and his fiance were going to get married. He was looking for a pastor. And I said, well, I have to do your pre-marriage counseling. And I led him to the Lord during pre-marriage counseling. Both got saved. And then we were going through things about their marriage. And he stopped me about, and he goes, so you mean I have to get rid of all my porn? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Oh, man. Bro. <laughs> but you know what? So, I mean, so trans, like, dude, he doesn't get it. But here's the thing. We need to cut new believers some slack. I'm just glad they got saved. Here's the reality. We're called to disciple them. Amen? When, when people, look, they're babies. When a newborn baby is born, you don't put them in the nursery and, and put bottles in the corner and some diapers over here and here's some formula and leave. That baby would starve to death. Amen? So what are we called to do? When you lead someone to the Lord, you need to take time to disciple them, to teach them, to help them grow in their faith. Amen? To bring them to a Bible teaching church. I know one good one around here. You should bring them there. Where the word of God's being taught. Amen? Yeah. And that's how we grow. Amen? Okay. So he won't take anything from him. So he's asking him for dirt. And he says, I'm not going to sacrifice to other gods anymore. I'm done. Keep in mind that every land they went to, there were idol worship and there were sacrifices made. And some of them had temple prostitutes and some of them sacrificed children to their false gods. But notice what he says here. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Rimon and worship there, and he leans, uh, my, he leans on my hand, and I bow down to the, in the temple of Rimon. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. He says, look, when I get home, I'm the commander of the king, and he's going to go in and worship Rimon and ask God if he'll show me some, give me a break if I just go ahead and go worship with him. I really don't mean it. Now, again, none of that's really okay. But we're going to see him being shown grace. Now, again, I had a girl get saved in our youth group in Lancaster. And she came to me one week. She'd been going there for about a year. And she was really growing in her faith. And she said, hey, I'm not going to come to youth group at midweek anymore. Because I found a youth group right by my house. And I've got a lot of friends there. And I'm just going to start going there because it's easier to get there. I don't have a way of getting here all the time. My mom can't always drive me across town. I said, what's the name of the church? It's called Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. No. <laughs> No. And I had to sit down with her and explain to her it's a doctrine of the devil. Amen. And Joseph Smith is a false prophet, and they think Jesus and Satan are brothers, and you can be God of your own planet. And it's a nightmare. Now, we need to love people enough to tell them the truth, but here this man is. He's going back to his hometown. In his heart, he says he wants to worship the Lord in the temple of Rimon again. That's not what God would have him to do. But watch how Elisha responds. He said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. You know, he can leave people in God's hands and pray for them. He's not going to be near him. And, and, you know, don't try to stand with the world and bow to the, stand with the Lord and bow to the world. That's kind of what he's doing. I want to stand with the Lord, but I'm going to have to bow to the world to do it. And we need to make sure that when we stand for the Lord, we don't bow to the world. Amen. That we serve one true and living God. We don't fall into the trap of succumbing to what the world may say to us. There's a lot of pressure to do a lot of things right about now that you may or may not agree with. And we, we can agree to disagree as Christians. Amen. 
Should I get a vaccine? No. Should I get? I don't know. Should we homeschool our kids? I don't know. Should we send Christmas? I don't know. Guys, we need to love each other unconditionally. Amen. Each of you be convinced in your own mind to do what you feel led to do, and we should love you without without res- reservation. So Naaman, I love this picture that in the midst of difficulties and humiliation that his uncleanness would bring, Naaman is going to continue to to bravely serve his king, and now he's got a new king. Now he has a new God. And I truly believe that we're going to see Naaman when we get to heaven. Amen? And that's what matters. Now, finally, last point. Pride goes before destruction. Watch this. Here comes Gehazi. Remember when I introduced him a couple weeks ago? I said, now all these guys are pretty solid. Not Gehazi. Here it is. Ready? But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God. I love that when it says Elisha, right after it says the man of God a lot. And I can think of no greater way to be introduced or thought of. By the way, don't introduce people that way. But to be, <laughs> get over it. Stinking ball center. Come on up here. But but to say that every time his name is mentioned, because there are so few men of God at that time, that he's a man of God. Now watch what it says. Look, my master has spared Naaman, the Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I'll run after him and take something from him. <coughs> hey, the dude at 4.6 million. Kick a brother down some. You don't want any. Hey, I'm right here. I'm your servant. You don't have to have it. I'll take it. Flip it my way. So he jumps up and he's going to chase Naaman. But here's the problem. See, the young girl wanted nothing but to see this man healed. Elisha wanted nothing but for this man to remember the grace of God. And now this man's pride and disobedience is in a way going to mess all that up to make him think that he has to pay for God's blessing. Now watch what happens. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. He said, it's all well. Is everything okay? And then he says to him, all is well, my master has sent me. Is that true? Okay, he's lying. My master has sent me. Uh, no, Elisha didn't send him. Then he says, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come uh, to me from the mountains of Ephraim, Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garment. Talent of silver is 75 pounds of silver. Um, I calculate that value about 34 grand. Can you give these two guys 34 grand and some clothes? Now watch what Naaman does. And this doesn't surprise me because Naaman's blessed. So what does Naaman do? Look what he says. Naaman said, take two talents. Take 68 grand instead. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to the two of his servants and they carried them on ahead of him. Now, here's what happens. He wants to put over a scam on Naaman. So he runs out there and brings two guys with him and says, you guys are both going to pretend you just got here and that you're hurting and that you're new to the prophet school and we're going to ask him to give you stuff and then he's going to hand it to you and you can carry it back for me. That's exactly what happens. This is so tragic. People using spiritual things to, be, to gain financially. Let's finish up. It says there in verse 24, and when he came to the citadel, he took from, from their hand 
and stored them away in the house. Then he let them go and they departed. So as soon as he got to his house, give me the silver. Give me the clothes. Put 68 grand in his house and some brand new duds, new wardrobes in his house and sent the two guys packing, running on their way. Now watch this. The Bible says your sin will surely find you out. And by the way, he's trying to hide this from Elisha. (laughs) And Elisha hangs out with God. And guess what? He's going to be found out. And the way the transgressor is hard. Watch this as we finish. Now he went and stood before his master. Elijah said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? He said, your servant didn't go anywhere. Lying's become a regular habit for this guy. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and receive clothing and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Are you, are you in this for the stuff? Are you in this for the money? Are you just looking to become wealthy? Are you doing this so that you will be blessed physically? By the way, why do you serve? Why do you serve the Lord? Is it for prestige? Is it for uh, attaboys from the world? Or is it because you love the Lord and for his glory? Why do we serve him? What is our motivation? What is it that we want? Look how this finishes. It gets gnarly here. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. So Naaman, this man who was an enemy of the children of Israel, heard that there was someone who could heal him. He came, he was mad at the beginning, but then he humbled himself, went out by faith and obedience, and his leprosy is gone. And then a man who serves alongside Elisha becomes prideful, makes it about comforting himself and getting over on somebody uh, that where God has blessed him and it should be about grace. And look what happens. Naaman came a leper and left clean and Gehazi began clean and left a leper. Why? Because this man humbled himself and this man was all about himself. Amen. God gives grace to the humble but he resists the proud. So bringing hope to the hopeless. First of all, being a faithful witness, even in the most difficult of circumstances, praise God for this young girl who speaks up in the midst of a godless place where there is hope. Number two, hope is worth more than all the money in the world. $4.6 million meant nothing to name and compared to being healed. Hope comes to humility, faith, and obedience. I love just how he responded by faith and obedience. It took him a while. He fought it for a minute, but then he finally went down. And because of his faith and humility, God cleansed him. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. We saw that. And then pride goes before destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So worship team, come on back up. But while they're coming up, any questions or thoughts about tonight's text? We got a few minutes. Anybody at all? People say, why don't you do the questions at the end anymore? And then we do them, and this is what happens. Is Gehazi a picture of Judas Iscariot, in a sense? Well, yeah, he betrayed, he betrayed his falling for, for money. Yeah. Plenty of that. Amen. Anybody else? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. 
You are indeed, indeed a great and an awesome God. We thank you for tonight's chapter. Lord, I pray we would leave here bringing hope to the hopeless. And Lord, if we're out of hope right now, cause us to come humbly and broken before you. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Again, as you fill us with your spirit, give us that love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness, all those things that are fruits of your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would bring divine appointments in the coming days, opportunities to point people to the hope that lies within us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.